call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 65 of Call It Friend, or the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host Donica Tiernan watched the 2022 Scream requel. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. We also spoil elements of the other four films in the series. I also kind of spoil Candyman 2021, but it's rubbish. Anyway, so don't worry about it. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend or Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. In the words of Ben and Jerry's executives tasked with defining the product they sell, it's ice cream, baby. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? I'm doing very well. Thanks very much for asking. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I've, I've got... I think we can leave the podcast there. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. All right. Nice to you check can't. in with you, folks. That yeah. would be a good Still idea for a podcast. Just, you know, <laughs> two lads catching up with each other once a week. But it, some weeks are just really dull and short. Any news? Absolutely nothing. Same old, same old, you know? Yep. This is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's January. Yes, yes. That's what the world needs, actually. More podcasts. I need to make a note of that. Although when people are listening to this, it's February or later. Oh, this could be many years in the future. Could be. I hope so. I hope it reaches the aliens, like yes. in like in Galaxy Quest, and they very much. I, I do like to think of this as similar to Galaxy Quest. Yes, and in, in that it's not going to date at all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I th- keep the nineties zeitgeist alive. I, well, I think for a long time we did good work to make sure that you know you could. Uh, go back and be a completist with this show but now that we're trying to do every second episode something current i think you know you got to keep up with the headlines people that's what i'll say what have you been watching well i've watched three things and uh two of them well actually they were all kind of connected to the fact that i went to the cinema to see scream this week okay scream 2022 that we're going to be talking about after the four million things that you watched i'll get through them quickly there's some i want to focus on more than others Okay, well, I watched three things, and as I say, it was all it was all brought on by going to the cinema to, to see Scream because after watching Scream, I decided I would check out some recent-ish horror films to see if I could find something to scare me up good. Mm. And the first thing I checked out was Candyman remake, reboot, requel in the parlance of uh, Scream. I haven't seen this yet. Are you a fan of the original? I am. I think it's great. Bernard Rose. The original is... Bernard Rose. A classic, as far as I'm concerned. I think the original is fantastic. And it also... It's a great film, though. The the Clive Barker story. It ticks one of those fantastic um, boxes for early 90s slash late 80s horror movies where, you know, there's lads out all over the shop. It's funny. Like, they're they're contributing nothing to the plot are the lads that are out, but there they are. Well, it was important. That was important. She was having a, a bath. Yeah. Virginia Madsen. I remember her brother, Michael Madsen, said that he couldn't watch Candyman for that reason. Because the lads were out. Yeah, he didn't want to see his sister's uh, nudity. Well, I will, I, And he was scared. He said it was scary. That's why he couldn't watch it. I, w- like, I, I hope Michael Madsen doesn't listen to the podcast, but I would just like to say retrospectively, nice lads, Virginia Madsen. I, I saw that film in the, in the cinema last year, and I was blown away by the lads. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Are you going to Clive Barker all day? Anyway, tell me. That's <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> tell me about uh, tell me about this new Candyman, which I have not seen, but yes, I'm sir. considering it. Your verdict is uh, everything. 
Okay, well, you're not going to like this then, because I would say do not watch The Candyman. I do like that. 2021. That, that means it's not on the list anymore. I love that. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll tell you all about it then. Okay, so this is directed by Nia DaCosta. Mm. It's co-written and co-produced by Jordan Peele mm. from off of everything. Yes, from off of everything. And, uh, <laughs> It stars Yahya Abdul-Mateen mm-hmm. as, uh, as a visual artist, Anthony McCoy, who's drawn into creating art about the Candyman myth with horrifying consequences. Oh, no. Da, 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 da. It looks great. Film looks very nice. Nia DaCosta is clearly a talented visual artist herself. There's one shot of uh, Abdul Yahya, 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 Abdul-Mateen mm-hmm. uh, uh, walking across a bridge in Chicago. And it feels like a kind of 70s new wave couple of Friedkin. You know, I remember those shots I used to get of just like a person walking into the center of a bridge to meet someone. Yeah. And there would be like a long, really, really far away shot that zooms in. Yeah. Remember those? I used to love those. Yes. No one does those anymore. She does one in this. I'm like, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I think that was like a direct uh, ripple effect from um, Hollywood movies. They wanted to show off the fact that they were using real locations, so it was their effort yeah. to uh, play like their European visual hand. True story. You can read all about wow, it in William Friedkin's it. book Connections. Well, unfortunately, that's the only 1970s quality that uh, Nia DaCosta brings to this, because this is no Exorcist. This is no, it's no Candyman 1992, unfortunately. I think what goes wrong here, ultimately, is that the message of the film comes at the cost of scares, of being scary. Yeah. It's very kind of, as you might expect, it's kind of influenced by recent history in the US in Mm. terms of... Black Lives Matter, etc., which is fine, but it, it takes a good character like Candyman and I think ruins it. And one of the big, okay, two of the big problems here are Tony Todd's not there. Yeah. And I think he is, that's what makes the whole thing work. Yes. Uh, like, as we talked about Tony Todd before. We did, because I thought it was someone else. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's him going, Helen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it is. It's just he's a creepy, the nicest man ever, as we said. But he's a presence. Extremely creepy. It's still scary, that movie. Really. Yeah, it is a scary film. And another thing about that, Candyman, is literally anyone can be a victim. Yeah. The, the, the film is willing to just kill people left, right, and center, sacrifice main characters. Mm. It, it, that has, you know, that's like a message film as well. That's all about race, too. But, like, this film... Candyman only kills white characters, basically, which is fine. That's totally fine. But then what they do... No self-awareness, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So mild spoilers for this Candyman. But at the end, it kind of becomes... He becomes like a sort of superhero, almost, that kills like a bunch of evil white police officers. (laughs) Are you joking? And it's just... No, I'm not joking. It's almost like a superhero of like... We're going to avenge you. We're like we're going to take out the evil whiteies, and it's mother like, of fuck. Again, if if it was scary, it would be fine. But it's like it's taken that Candyman premise and just made it not scary. You see, there's like, and I think that's like that's the biggest sin that they could commit. Do you know why Get Out is so brilliant? Because this is a ripple from Get Out. It's connected somewhere, yeah, no matter definitely. what. Right, right, right. You know why Get yeah. Out is so great? Because that subtext doesn't matter a fuck. I don't buy it. It's a good movie. I don't care right. about the subtext. I don't actually buy what they're getting at with the cultural appropriation and all that shit and whatever. I just think it's a really good horror film. I think it's really effective. I, th- I also think Jordan Peele's second film, Us, is very effective. Good horror movie. Pr- yeah, I liked Us. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. This, 
what you're talking about here reminds me of this film I saw last year in the cinema. It's called Antebellum. It stars Janelle Monet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this film is worth, genuinely wor- <laughs> worth seeing if you wanted to study, I don't know, the effects of studios cashing in, cashing in on social movements. Because this script was just not ready by any stretch of the imagination. The premise is basically like a modern woman wakes up in like a slave plantation back in the day or something like that. And she's she thinks she's being guided by her ancestors. It's like a, a whole thing. But there's whole stretches of the film that are just from a different movie, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was an incomplete st- script, but you can just see it got greenlit and they chucked a dickload of money at it because this cause was very in vogue at the moment of, of greenlighting, you know? And it sounds like Candyman might have been another one of those. Candyman just strikes me as like Jordan Peele is out of touch with reality. Just that he's like middle class. I think he comes from quite a kind of wealthy family background. He's certainly obviously very wealthy now. <laughs> but sure. I've, this, I mean, this film is you've got all these artists like kind of middle class black artists who are spending the whole film going like, they gentrified the neighborhoods, and then there's this one w- white art, like art critic, uh, who says to him, "Mother like, of God, <laughs> art." Who says to him, "Like, ah, but artists, you're actually the biggest culprits for this." <laughs> and he's like, "Ah, oh, oh, yeah," but <laughs> I don't know. It's just like a weirdly kind of tone deaf type film. But well, look, as far as I'm concerned, people, seem, people are into it. If you're if if you marry a white lady, your uh, opinion is none and void, Jordan Peele. But um, how much like did he actually have to do with this? Did he, like he's a producer, is he? And and co writer. Oh, he co wrote. I feel it. like he would have. I feel like he would have made this himself if he wasn't busy with other projects. Wow. Because that he would have directed it. That extra element of the Candyman becoming a superhero, just kind of. I mean, uh, it's not exactly, but it is, uh, you, it is in that kind of realm of like I'm. It's, I don't want to go full spoilers, but it is sort of that. It kind of becomes like a superhero. I'm not. I can. Let's see. Mother was another one directed by some Spanish fella. That um, not that mother. The other one. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not not uh, mother mother yeah, yeah. with the exclamation mark. There is another one where the horror baddie becomes the goodie sort of at the end, and not in a perverted sense like the original Candyman, where you know all of a sudden mm-hmm. she's with the like. But like, I don't know. It's just subtext taking over a horror film. I mean, it's it's worse than I can imagine the results being worse than with an awful lot of other genres, you know? When you're just relying mm. on mood and scares, you know, that somebody trying to inject a subtext into something is just, you know, a distraction in some sense, you know? Yeah, so that was my reaction to this was not scary in the end. So I decided to to go and, and look for something scarier. And I fell upon Robert Eggers's debut from 2015, The VV Itch. I fucking love The Vaginal this. Itch. It is an A24 film in which Wernham Hogg paper salesman Chris Finch leaves <laughs> Slough with his family to start a new life in 17th century America. It's a good choice for him. And it also stars Anya Taylor-Joy in her screen debut. And Kate Dickey, the woman with the, the most Scottish face in recorded history. Agreed. I, uh, no. I really like this film. Oh, good. No, okay, okay. Listen, listen, listen. It, it's extremely creepy. Mm-hmm. Is unsettling, let's say. I didn't find it scary at all. 
but I did find it unnerving. And there's certain scenes that I think are excellent. Obviously, Robert Eggers for this to be like a debut film and all, you know, yeah, it's outrageous. It like lauded for its natural lighting, lit by candlelight, going for that kind of Kubrick, Barry Lyndony type thing. But I mean, it's it is it's a beautiful film. It's as I say, it's extremely creepy. And there's one uh, the one scene that I loved more than any. Uh, mild spoilers here, but the scene where Caleb, the son, yeah, dies. And he's just kind of, he's seeing a vision. It's like he's talking to Christ. Yeah. That is the best child acting that I think I've seen for a long time. Do you, but there's like, creepy is the right word because scares are all well and good, let's say, and, and, and jumps. But I like, I mean, I think obviously it's better if you get both in the same film. But mood is like a tough one. And I think like there's parts, there's bizarre ways they achieve the move the mood rather in the witch like for example you know when they're trying to make the twins pray yeah and they're just and they won't yeah, pray they're just, they, they can't they're just unable to or well i mean the standout scene in the film has got to be where basically satan appears behind her that i think is just and the voice on him i i that fucking blew me away i just thought that was great is that Satan? You mean I thought that was like the goat? Like it the is the goat. Yeah, yeah, the goat. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Black Philip. Satan Philip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a nice goat. I don't know the song. That's how the song goes. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And like he seemed like he seemed like a swarthy, a swarthy young gentleman. I'll tell you what. There is there are one or two not quite scenes, but shots in it that I found scary. You know when they go to the barn and you just see a glimpse of the witch. Mm. I thought that was scary. Eh, I don't know. That didn't work for me so much, seeing the witch. Fair enough. I still liked it. I liked it. I'll definitely check out The Lighthouse and whatever that other one we were discussing that's coming out eventually. The Northman, I think it's called. Norse, Norse, Northman, Norseman, Northman. Yeah, I'll check that out. Certainly Robert Eggers, I can see that he's, he seems to be Mr. A24. He's certainly one of the the ones that they're pushing hard. Are they poking at him a little bit in Scream 2022? I mean, that was I. I was going to mm. check out one of the films that they referenced there. I didn't watch the Babadook. I know mm. you did this week. What other films do they reference in Scream? It Hereditary, Follows, I think, was one. Yeah. Hereditary, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they're, they're kind of had. I don't know if they're taking pot shots at like a twenty-four cerebral moody horrors or not, but they're you know. It, I think we'll, with we'll, Scream, we'll it's all those good meta fun. aspects yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. And also, I think the makers of Scream, of this Scream, are, you know, probably also big fans of these horror films. So, yeah. Anyway, the last thing that I went to see, this was a 100% due to the fact that I went to the cinema to see Scream, because one of the trailers before Scream was for Nightmare Alley, mm. William of the Bulls' latest effort. I am really looking forward to this. How did it pan out? I'm not a... Uh... Guillermo del Toro fan usually I mean I, really? it's not that I dislike his films it's not that I dislike his films it's just he's got some sort of gothy Tim Burton elements from time to time where I'm like I don't know I don't know like in what he's he, he I don't know he like listens to Morrissey he's Mexican <laughs> I'm assuming he listens to the Smiths <laughs> I assume he's walking around with kind of dark clothes on I would the, say the, the he, fan, I would imagine fantasy stuff I'm not a fan of okay the fantasy elements in certain things, like Hellboy Two. Oh no, I, lo- I love it was Hellboy heavy Two. Fantasy, love it. Oh, okay, I can't do that. I don't like fantasy like that. I like the first Hellboy. You know, give Give me Nazis, but when you're into like little golden lost kingdoms and stuff, I'm like, oh, I nah, love nah. Hellboy Two. Like Hellboy nah. would rank uh, like that's a 
I'm just dis- I, like I, I'm still a little bit bummed that we'll never get to see Hellboy three. I was a huge fan of that. Oh, you did. You just watched that awful reboot instead. Why not? Oh, I haven't With seen David that. David Harbour. I haven't seen it either. It was directed by uh, Neil Marshall, the Scottish guy, Neil Marshall. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Nightmare Alley. I knew nothing about this before the trailer, and the trailer made it look like it was a. Re- it's a really, really good trailer. It doesn't give away any of the plot. I didn't know anything about this film at all. And unlike the latest Batman trailer, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that. Yes, I've seen I have that twice now in the cinema, and it feels like you've watched the entire film. Certainly too much. But this of it. one, yeah, but this one, this the uh, Nightmare Alley trailer. Just from what I understood of the trailer, it looked like Bradley Cooper was some kind of shape shifting mutant who murders people and then takes their place. It is not that, <laughs> but I was sold on that concept. It's definitely not that. I didn't realize it's it's an adaptation of a 1946 novel that was made That's into right. a film in 1947. That's right. And it's it, Bradley Cooper's this kind of man with no name type uh, who takes a job as a, a carny with a traveling circus slash freak show and then learns the trade along the way before putting those skills into into action with with sexy results, with deadly consequences. Yes. Um, I saw the original film of this like years ago. I, m- I remember uh, just a remind. I was reading an article about um, the film in Empire magazine and it, it like it started ringing bells. And then I looked up like a little clips from the film. I was like, yeah, I've definitely seen that. But I don't really remember too much of what goes on. And I understand that they've changed the ending to the ah. to that of the original uh, book. I feel like noir is because it is a, a, a noir a film noir isn't it oh yeah. yeah big big time i feel like noir is like a natural step for del toro no it's set in the late 30s early 40s kind of wartime period in the u.s and it is definitely like that's the kind of costumes and era that you expect from a lot of his films mm. you know he loves that time period so it's it's it, i really liked it i had no idea where it was going again i think it's it's a good thing to go into blind or at least partially sighted. It lasts like two and a half hours. Wow, so big one. There was it. It's quite long, it, but it pays off everything that sets up on the way. I really want to see Including the title, which makes sense in the context of everything. And you've got Bradley Cooper. It's one of those things, again, I did see some people suggesting he was miscast because he gets called kid frequently throughout, mm. and he's like 50. It's, it's, so it's kind of one of those. Yeah. At the same time, Though I just think uh, in his career, Bradley Cooper has grown from strength to strength. I think he's just a f- oh yeah, big a f- time, yeah. a fantastic screen presence these days. Um, and I think we we were talking about that and something else, but like the fact that he is Rocket Raccoon and all these other things, yeah, is like you're like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can that be? I still can't square that circle that he's Rocket Raccoon. I can't picture that yeah. voice coming out of his mouth. No, nah, no, nah, it's wrong. It's not right. Right. Okay. Um. Of the and in this, one more thing to say about this. One more thing to say about this. At the start of the film, he's in this nice kind of fedora and jacket combo, where you're like, "Hmm, could this be Indiana Jones reboot? He could do a job." I think who who have they cast as the new Indiana Jones? They've no Harrison Uh, Ford is returning, but there's somebody else in the film that they reckon might be taking the whip and fedora. I forget now. Dev Patel. <laughs> I hope. That, uh, I know a, a piece of casting that would be roundly <laughs> praised by The Guardian. <laughs> yeah. That's a good choice. Anyway, I mean, I say that, but I, I did recently absolutely love him in Sir Gawain. Yeah, he's good. Come and all. Have you seen that yet, David Lowry's Green Knight? 
No, it's very good. I recommend it. I think I recommended it on this podcast. You want me to recommend some things? Please. I'll rush through these, I promise. And then I'll focus go. in on some of them. So I got around... Might take longer than I expected, but go ahead. I got along to uh, Afterlife Season 3, having rewatched the first two to lead up to it. I really enjoyed the first two. And I have to say, I think the third... It starts off... You're getting a little bit annoyed. I'm gonna, I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll fill everybody in right now who hasn't so far. It's Ricky Gervais's latest effort in which he is a widower journalist and functioning alcoholic, probably all in that order, who makes a pretty convincing case at the start of the series for a life being completely pointless, especially now that he's lost his wife and he just wanders through being sort of a nihilist, doing what he, doing whatever the fuck he likes and saying whatever the fuck he likes, which makes, you know, that must be very tiring. Being a nihilist, I mean. Being a nihilist, I suppose it would be. Like it makes for um, is that that's the big Lebowski, right? Yeah, it must be exhausting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, ever since Gervais has stopped working with Stephen Merchant, you've been able to like you can look at what he has done post Merchant and then with Merchant, and you can see what like the big contributions Merchant must have made would have been kind of a a sort of a nuance between the dramatic stuff and the comedy stuff, and also just a shooting style that really worked and really calcified everything, felt quite fluid. Uh, I really, really did not like Derek, uh, that uh, Gervais' previous show. And still, in Afterlife, there's it's had that kind of strange, surreal air, almost like Larry Charles's work on Curb Your Enthusiasm, whereby, you know, it's set in the real world, but it's ridiculous from time to time, just insane and ridiculous. And then, yeah... As the series has gone on, I have felt like a little bit less sorry for Tony because you're like, Jesus, man, get over it. He's alienating people who want to be with him and, and things like that. But the third season pulls off a really nice trick of it doesn't lean quite as much into it emotionally, although it does have a real powwow of an emotional finale, uh, finale. I cried a little bit, but it's really, really funny, like made me laugh a lot. And it's mostly with the side characters, not quite Gervais's Tony. It centers in on the different sort of weirdos and side characters that he's collected along the way and just has them say ridiculous, bizarre things. There's a man who's a hoarder who ends up working at the newspaper, distributing papers, who wants to be a stand-up comedian, but every single joke he makes is a reference to his wife leaving him for a gypsy. And it, and like he says, really just arranged, fucked up stuff. It's, who's the actor? I'm not quite sure. I, I, um, I looked him up now. Just there's No the, one that you'd recognize. No, no one that you recognize. He's not a comedian either. Uh, which surprised me because he is very funny. There are, and there are some comedians in it. Uh, I would really recommend you checking this out. It would. I tell you what. One thing though. I mean, we would really be able to figure out how different our senses of humor are in this because there are certain things in this that made me cackle with laughter. I've watched. Like what? Well, particularly this guy. He just. He's always annoying the secretary in the the receptionist rather in the newspaper with like his like a, one thing he says is uh, hey uh, what you get uh if you cross Buzz Aldrin and my wife, astronaut who fucks gypsies, don't you? Like, just, you know, little stuff like that. I feel like it, it's possible it would grate on you. I really enjoyed it and thought mm. it was very funny. Um, so, I find it quite offensive, to be honest, but go ahead. There you go. So I would recommend Afterlife Season 3 for anybody who enjoyed the first two and anybody who has not watched any of them, for sure, fuck it, give it a go. It's only like six per series, half an hour episodes, three series. Get over yourself. Anyway, I enjoyed it. I also rewatched the OA part one because I wanted to watch the second series of that for a long time. A TV critic, I'm a fan of his work, a guy called Boyd Hilton reckons it's like the best thing in years and years and years. He And he's a fan of 
things that I quite like, such as The Leftovers, um, AL, other stuff. Devs was another one he liked. But he loves The OA. Now, I watched this when it came out originally, and I did fly through it and find it very, very compelling. But it didn't really stick in my head, and that's definitely changed this time around. It's a prequel to The OC, is that correct? That's correct. It's two. It's actually it's the like second it's, prequel. Yes, two. I haven't seen The OB either. No, they, I mean apparently The OB isn't worth watching. Uh, so I've the heard it anyway. Yeah, the ob's not great, but the oa, hell's yeah. Have you ever actually seen this? No, I, it's a thing like I've seen quoted many times, like you're saying, of people saying like, hey, it's great, it's great, but uh, is it not another thing that got cancelled early? Yes, it is. But get over yourself. That's Because you, w- no. you would fucking nope. love this. You would fucking oh, love this. Oh, do I have this. to fill in the rest of the story in my own head? That's, I Listen, I, they don't pay me enough. Oh, man. They don't pay me anything. Okay, well, fair enough. I rewatched it this time, and I was just thoroughly blown away. It's So it, it opens up, the story is, this girl is seen in a YouTube video uh, running across a bridge and then jumping off the bridge, and somebody watches the YouTube video, you realize this is her mother from years ago, and this is her daughter who's been missing for years. And then, when they arrive in the hospital, the girl doesn't recognize them, she sort of paws at the mother's face and you realize she was blind when she went missing, right? Um, Now, I include that because that particular detail, because the storytelling is like that, thoroughly compelling, and much of the time you haven't got the slightest clue what is going on. It transpires that Jason Isaacs, a a professor, doctor type, called Hal had... Excellent, excellent bastard. I just want to say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. He gives great bastard in this, too. He has kidnapped a bunch of young people who had near-death experiences, and he is basically testing to see is there an afterlife in a place where you go. Now, the thing is, this shows you some wacky, zen, other-dimensional stuff, but it leans into it so much, and it's like, takes itself seriously enough that it fucking works. The cast are all brilliantly written. You care about all of them instantly. All different actors, all people on the fringe of society. You've got an Irish actor, I think his name is um, Scott Wilson, which is not the most Irish name you've ever heard, but he is Irish, playing like just a, a, a young guy who's into parkour, but he's also just got so much anger. You've got a, uh, like a young girl who's uh, taking hormone blockers and testosterone. She wants to become a man. One of the teachers who refuses to accept her brother's will money because she feels she had a partner death. Anyway, they all kind of come together to help the OA rescue the other people who were uh, the OA being Brit Marling. It's a brilliant show. Really dragged me in. I couldn't believe, like four episodes in this time, I was like, I can't believe how compelling this is. Yet I, we still have no idea what's going on. I would recommend checking it out. I'm going to watch part two. And that was the last of it. That uh, it, It's been cancelled since. Why do you think you got into it this time, but not the first time? I don't know if I've ever had that happen. I think it was because, I think it was because the nature of rewatching. I kind of had, uh, I, I, remembered mm. the, I remembered the plot. So and it's I rem- like quite complex. Yeah. And I remembered the things that I didn't quite get about it. And maybe that transpired to me not liking it just because I didn't get them. And I knew what they were going to be coming in, and I, I suppose I gave them extra attention and thought about them more. And there are still aspects in it that, I mean, on a level, don't make sense. But they're basically talking about trying to get through to another dimension that could be an afterlife. None of it makes sense, you know what I mean? The parts of it that deal with that, they seem to make a sort of a sense to the characters that works instinctually for them. I mean, you should read the making of this. They Like, they basically spitballed this for a year or two 
without writing anything down, her uh, Brit, uh, Brit Marling and um, Zal, ba- Zal Batmanglij is his name, just Batman. and uh, pitched it to Netflix only on, spe- on speak. Well, actually, no, they pitched it to Bradley Pitt at Plan B, and uh, he bankrolled Bradley Pitts. Yeah, yeah, and he bankrolled it, took it over to Netflix. They did cancel it, unfortunately. But I'm definitely like Ooh. I'm gonna break my uh, regular thing of you know waiting a little bit to watch the second season. I'm gonna trundle right into part two probably later today. So. Just I think what you said about it, like the the one character's into parkour. Mm. That's kind of how I imagined it in my head. I imagined it as like it's a sci-fi show where they do parkour. I know it's I'm sure it's not that, no, but it's like, not that's at all. How the <laughs> the entire thing I in my head was like it's like Assassin's Creed, but a TV series. Oh, you should, dude. You'd really like it. I'm sure I would, but the fact that it was cancelled is slightly putting me off. I will get around to it eventually, like with all the other cancelled shows, Utopia, mm. etc. Right, I'll bluster through two more here. We'll see. Uh, I've rewatched uh, The Babadook yesterday, uh, which I, I've probably seen three or four times right now. Uh, by by now, I mean it's brilliant. It's got our old mate uh, Essie, Essie, uh, Essie Curzel. <laughs> Is that her name? Essie Davis. Essie Davis. Because I, in the last episode, for some reason, I kept insisting on calling her Essie Davies. Mm, but it's Davis. I don't know why, because I, I can actually read. I know, it's a shock. There we are. Well, anyway, she plays a, a woman whose husband died years ago and uh, has to live with the most annoying kid in the world. Uh, it is, as Scream pokes... An Australian kid, no less, right? Indeed, yeah. As Scream tw- 2022 pokes a little bit, it could be considered elevated horror, but it's also just really really good it surprises you it's scary and creepy and also fun uh the babadook is a great time i would say i would go as far as to say it's probably a, a modern classic of the genre um i mean it's considered that and it kind of earns the status like you know what i mean and i do take a little bit of umbrage with this idea of the elevated horror because i like you know i like the the horror that slums it as well i like that but this is just a different thing this is you know in the realm of something like Rosemary's Baby or something like that, in that Jennifer Kent in the 1970s trapped a 13-year-old in a hotel room. Mm. Incorrect. Okay. Jennifer Kent did not do that. Leave that that in. Um, Have you seen... Allegations. You haven't seen The Babadook. Have you seen Pam Springs? I have. I'm a big fan. I just wanted to say about The Babadook, that was on my short list of of horror films, and I wish I hadn't watched Candyman, but between uh, when I was going for, like, oh, let's watch something better, it was between The VVH, The Witch, Mm. uh, Babadook, and It Follows, and The Witch won this time. I'll definitely watch Babadook soon, but to answer your other question, Palm Springs was one of uh, one of my favorite films that I watched last year. I, I totally forgot to put on any list, but yeah. yeah, I really, really enjoyed Palm Springs. So a huge fan. Yeah, yeah. This is my second time watching it. I watched it again last night. Um, yeah, it's just thoroughly fucking excellent. So much fun. Often hilarious. Really draws you in. I dislike saying this, but because it's not 100% true, I was going to say they don't make stuff like this anymore, but people de- generally, you know, with their comedies, lean a different way these days and want to get actors who are you know heavy into improvisation and stuff but clearly this is a great script i've actually read the script for this Mm -hmm. full disclosure and it's mostly the stuff that's in there one aspect of this that i loved the first time around by the way for those not in the know pam springs time loop movie takes place around a wedding andy sandberg manages to accidentally uh drag another lady the mother from off of uh, christina milotti or whatever she's called yeah she i like her the mother off of how i met your mother uh, into the time loop for how I met your mother. Into the time loop with him, 
and uh, they happen to be at a wedding, which is just a great location to set a time loop movie at. It's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But a Palm Springs wedding. It was, first time around, my favorite aspect of the film, and second time around, even more so, just the idea of J.K. Simmons's character. So J.K. Simmons, <laughs> Simmons plays a character called Roy, who Andy Samberg accidentally dra- dragged into the time loop because they, like, they just did a bunch of drugs together. And... And like J.K. Simmons's character, he he wakes up like a hundred hundreds of miles away, so he drove to the wedding that day in some place called Irvine. So sometimes in his time loop, he just gets so pissed off, drives back to the wedding and tortures Andy Samberg's <laughs> character, which is fucking hilarious. I really really did enjoy that. I also really enjoyed. Um, there's a little sort of a mini sex montage where it suddenly, <laughs> yeah, Andy Samberg decides to go gay for a couple of the times, which is very funny too. I was going to say, I think what I like about the, that film is how it starts. Because you're already, like, way into the time loop. How do you mean? Like, in the morning? I just mean, like, the film starts and you're in the time yes, loop. Yes, yes, yes. You know yeah. what I mean? It isn't, it isn't like, the setup or anything. Yeah. He's, he's obviously done it for, like, I don't know, it could have been hundreds of years by the point that you're seeing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is. Which I think is better than setting it up as, like, oh, he's gone into a cave and now he's in a time loop. It's, like, instead we get to see it while he's, like, already doing crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I know you love anything to do with time or anything. How would you feel about being in a time loop? Time, I would love it. Yeah? That's that's not torture to me. Give me a thousand years. Fuck yeah. Uh, I could make use of that. So I got some stuff. I also watched uh, Boiling Point. Have you seen or heard about boiling point when i was at the the zurich film festival when i was at the zurich film festival last year you know nice uh vip there that was uh that was a film that was doing the rounds and was heavily heavily praised i didn't know it was possible to watch yet i guess i just let it go go by me these last few months well it's on uh, the spanish uh, streaming service filming for which we got a and it's on everywhere yes exactly even though it's just getting a theatrical release in the uk i do believe yeah um oh by the way speaking of which i wanted to ask you know um nightmare alley is coming out in black and white also do you think that would benefit it i wouldn't watch it in black and white that seems a bit gimmicky i would just watch it in uh, the old colors I mean, it is a fashionable gimmick these days. I think Par- uh, Parasite did it too. Anyway, do you know the what Boiling Point is about? Yeah, uh, Stephen Graham's a chef. Yes, the end. So it's a, a Stephen Graham one shot film uh, set in a restaurant on a busy night in the year, uh, directed by a guy called Philip Barantini, uh, who directed a short a few years ago, which starred St- Stephen Graham, on which this is based. Yeah, it's just the same thing, right? And it's just, uh, yeah, all the shit happens to him on the one night, you know? I worked for many years in restaurants um, and bars and stuff like this, and there is something about that world which this film fucking nails that it almost felt like to me when I was watching the year my voice broke. It was just, it was so, I recognized it so much, it was almost painful to me. And that, like, no exaggeration. There were parts of, like, certain characters that exist in the restaurant world that I've just seen in so many different places that they must be considered staples. Like the odd, dodgy guy who's, on, who's in wash-up. They have one here, and he might seem an eccentric, odd character to somebody who's never worked in a restaurant, but to anybody who has, you're like, oh yeah, I've met that guy in 10 different places. There's, you know, the personal demons that you always expect of a Stephen Graham character. They do very well with the one-shot format. It's a good setting for the one-shot format. It's not, 
like like it, it it's stressful in a kind of an uncut gym sort of a way. Um, I would recommend it to people, particularly if you've worked in um the restaurant business. I know one films like this might not be for everyone because it's very shaky. Obviously, it's all handheld. The choreography must have been immense for this. I believe they did the whole film four times and used the third take. It is, you know, anytime you're talking about one shot films, you you can't. You need to mention uh, that uh, film set in Berlin from a few years ago. I don't know. Did you see that? Victoria, is it called? I think it's called Victoria. I'm going to look up now. Just I still never watched that. Yeah, it's like a, a heisty, heisty film. Yes, it's called Victoria. Victoria is a, a 140 minutes of a heist movie over the course of one night in Berlin, which is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen and as entertaining as it, like, you know, you know, it's so entertaining, it's not a gimmick. And this isn't a gimmick either. This is 90 minutes too, and it's a perfect setting for it. Um, I don't I don't know what it'd be to, to everybody's tastes because there were certain little in-work dramas in it that I found quite compelling because I could relate to them. But I, I, I figure some people could find them mundane. It's quite possible. But uh, in general, I had a really, really good time watching it and I'd recommend it to people. What's Which uh, accent is he going for in this? Is he playing... Oh, he's Scouse. Scouser. He's playing himself. He's a Scouse, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So is Bear. Indeed, yeah. Very good. I mean, there's a lot of uh, Chekhov's in it. There's a lot of uh, things that are, you know... Russian people. No. Russian chef. Russian. Uh, no, you know what I mean. Stuff workers. that's just set up for later in the story. Chekhov's, Chekhov's knife. Like a couple comes in and. Chekhov, Chekhov's cheese grater. Che- uh, try Chekhov's nut allergy. Oh, yes. Oh, spoilers. There you go. Though. There you go. Uh, I did enjoy. Do, does, does he actually boil anything? I presume that's so. That's what I'm mostly interested in. I hope so. I just want to see stuff boil. I hope so. Some men just want to see the the world boil. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Stephen Graham's uh, chef Andy is one such in this film. <laughs> yeah, oh, is he called Andy? He yeah, is indeed. I'll watch it then. So I respect. Deci- because we were going to watch, we were going to because we did watch Scream twenty twenty two this week. Uh, I decided, well, fuck that noise for all that completist shit because I've been burnt too many times, particularly with the filmography of Justin Curzel, and in particularly in particular with Assassin's Creed, as to Assassin's Creed. But I have a lot of love for the first two Scream movies. So I said I'd rewatch those because I also heard they tied in a little bit to Scream 2022, which they do. What's your relationship like with the Scream franchise? I remember when the first Scream came out. Me too. I guess I was, I was a teenager. You were, you were a child. I was a child. I think, my, uh, I think my English teacher at school like went to see it in the cinema and then came in the next day and and kind of sold it to us as like it's a it was an an an, an ingenious twist on the on the old formula type thing mm. and uh that's kind of stuck with me I, I in my head i always kind of connect scream i know it's like uh kevin williamson the dawson's creek guy but in my head it's always felt sort of buffy the vampire slayer ish yeah just that kind, of, that same sort of sense of humor, like a bit kind of Josh Weed, Josh Whedon-y. Um I was never a huge fan. I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of slashers. They don't really do very much to me. I mean, I I grew up in Scotland. Uh, seeing like a really pale faced guy wielding a knife is not particularly shocking. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm more into the horror that's like ghost, supernatural force. Even like Michael Myers type thing feels more like a force of nature rather than like you know Matthew fucking Lillard. 
going, it's a screen, baby. It's a screen. Although, shout out to Matthew Lillard. I did see him in a live podcast here in Edinburgh a few years back. And uh, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. So shout out to him. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like those sort of meta elements of the original Scream, but it just, it was not a film that was for me. Obviously, you had that shock killing early on, a la Janet Lee in Psycho, killing Drew Barrymore. Yeah, great opening. Which is solid, but wasn't it wasn't a big fan. What about you? Well, I'm going to answer the question with a question, I suppose. Were, th- <laughs> were these films ever scary? They're supposed to be. I don't know. Do, do people get scared by these things? I actually... I, I can't remember ever being the, scared by it. Uh, uh, when we get to Scream 2022, I, I just, like, I'm not a big fan of gore either. I don't need to really see people getting slashed up by knives. I'm not really into that. Hmm. But, yeah, from a scary, like, there's somebody in the house, I don't know. I don't really... I've never really cared about that. It's, I'm, I'm all about ghosts. You see, there are scary slasher movies, for sure. Like what? Apart from Halloween, which is, again, I count that as, like, force of nature. Okay, I mean, for Psycho has, like, like now it's been watched to death or whatever, but Psycho is a slasher movie, yeah. and there are scary parts in it. Like, there are, even the first time I watched it, like, okay, the shower scene didn't really do anything for me because I, had, like, I, I knew all about it. But the first time I ever saw Psycho, and you know that overhead shot of... Uh, um, Mrs. Bates running out and stabbing that detective to death on the stairs. Mm. Like, that scared the bejesus out of me the first time I watched it. Uh, Peeping Tom is another good early one. A lot of the Jalo movies, which would be a predecessor to the um, slasher movies, are quite scary. There are other good ones, like Alice, Sweet Alice is another one, Black Christmas. There are scary slasher movies out there. And as far as I know, people were scared by Scream, right? As far as I know. But the thing is, I was watching it, and I, I, I really did enjoy Scream 1 watching it this week, and I really did enjoy Scream 2, which previously probably had been my favorite of the bunch. Scream 1 was the one I enjoyed the most this week, because there is a little bit of nastiness in there somewhere, and the nasty, like, that final scene where it, the two killers are revealed, it's Billy Lomas and Matthew Lillard, let's say, um, that... <laughs> it's like a character yeah. and an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... There, there is a nastiness to that sort of interplay that I, I enjoyed. It felt like perilous and not just making fun of the, the genre. But I suppose what I was in, I was almost enjoying them. <laughs> and this included Scream 2022. I think they're almost better enjoyed as kind of like action comedies. I think that's fair. I think uh, they're, kind of, they're always sold as that in a way. Be, well, I mean, obviously, they're, they're horror films, but like comedy is a huge element in it. Yeah. Totally. And like, I actually think a lot of the comedy is really, really successful and not the scripted stuff. I think the physical comedy of Ghostface getting the shit beaten out of him constantly <laughs> is actually fucking hilarious. And I don't know, is it conscious or not? But I, so I've watched three screen movies this week and in all three, Ghostface takes a clattering, often at the hands of young ladies as well. You know, they just beat the shit out of Ghostface. To be fair, I mean, this the first film was 96. The first scary movie was 99 or so, 2000. Mm. So, I mean, it wasn't long. And that was obviously, that sparked a whole franchise as well, just purely based on mocking Scream. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Which is, like, so, must have been very annoying for Wes Craven because he must have been like, yeah, that's the joke. Yeah, we made the joke first, you <laughs> fucking assholes. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, they, they're very enjoyable for all their, you know, meta-textual nonsense. But, like, I'll give you another one. Do the Nightmare on Elm Street films count as slashers, would you say? Ah, uh, but they're still supernatural. Okay, fair enough. Those are scary and nasty and stuff And even, like you know, and, like, Jason stuff like that's the same again. That's just, like, a weird supernatural element. Well... I'm just trying to think of, like, a murderer type the f- slasher. I know, the f- come on now. Friday the 13th films are slashers, for sure. But yeah, but what I'm saying is like, if to me, I make this, this, there's a line to be drawn in the sand of like, are these just average people? Mm. Or is it like, you know, some sort of supernatural thing? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Watch the two, scree- the two screams that I remember liking the most in the run-up to Scream 2022. And when it came to, around to watching Scream 2022... I was able to draw the line because I remembered like a little little bits of what three and four were about. I was able to like just draw the lines very easily between three, four, and five, and just realized, oh, so it's kind of like a Final Destination thing now. Like Final Destination films yeah. are, are quite like slasher movies in general, just without with the killer taken out. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's just mm-hmm. it's all about the kills. So basically, Scream is exactly the thing that it's parodying at this point. The mythology doesn't matter a top any fuck. Although I'll say the only death that carries any weight at all in 2022 is with a legacy character, you know? And that was probably the part that I didn't like. Yeah, because you're supposed to care, let's say. Yeah, I didn't care about well, I didn't care about the character and also I was like that's you can avoid that. I just think it's silly. Mm. But the, to be fair and we'll get to this when we're talking about Scream a bit more, mm. but like the film directly comments on that anyway about having legacy characters and the whole requel concept. So, yeah, you know, they're fully aware of what they're doing. I know, yeah, but it's just, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm just not as much of a fan of it as I used to be, is what I'm saying. I, You're getting old. I may be, but I was, as I was watching it, I was thinking, man, I wish I was watching one of the good Final Destination films. I think you're right in as much as like they've tried to tie together the whole universe and go like, ah, these characters are all interconnected. They did that across like later mm. Final Destination films of being like, oh, and this this is actually a prequel to this and these characters are mm, a cousin of this guy, etc. Yeah, but it, like, I mean, at, at the same time, in those cases, they're tenuous at best. If you if you take the, the screen movies, I now think, okay, all you need to watch is Scream 1 and 2. Because Scream, the first Scream film has nasty aspects to it. It, genu- it genuinely does. People are always like calling her mother a slut and because uh, she got raped and murdered, it transpires. Um, and her mother was having affairs around the town, so it's not a great, it, it, um, it's not a great existence for Sydney in the first place. That opening with Drew Barrymore is not only excellent, but really, really nasty. Like... Um, so it it you know it grounds you it takes you right down to earth and that last scenes in the house at the party when she's being chased around are very very good as well plus Fonzie gets killed which is fun oh and also no and it's Henry Winkler's in yeah yeah he's the principal my favorite death wow. my favorite death in the entire series is in the first one and it is when Rose McGowan tries to escape through the dog flap and gets like hung from the garage door as as he raises it up oh, yeah. it's really rough stuff like and the thing is she's kind of 
talking with the killer as it's actually like oh i'm scared i'm so scared and then you know she they t- they parody it in scary movie and it's one of the i actually think scary movie is quite funny but it's one of those bits in scary movie that doesn't work because you're just like well the actual joke in scream is far superior because it turns proper nasty at the end far nastier than that the first four films are all weinstein joints so that's when she was working with harvey weinstein there we go so the fir- like the first film does you know it starts off with your bubblegum Josh Whedon kind of feeling, oh, we're self-aware, we're parodying this. But as it progresses, it does get nastier and nastier. And there are ridiculous bits in it, sure, but whatever. Scream 2 is almost all ridiculous, all pastiche, fully leaning into it. They're in fucking film school talking about sequels half the time. The killers are ridiculous in themselves. Um, is sure, do you remember the opening of Scream 2? Timothy Oliphant, right? Timothy Oliphant. The baddie spoilers for Scream 2. No, I don't remember that one at all. Oh, I've definitely seen it. I just have no recollection. So Scream 2 opens when um, a couple... What, ah, the lady is famous, I should remember her. Uh, a couple are going to see... Uh, oh, yeah, Stab. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> a film, basically, which I... Yeah, yeah, in the cinema. <laughs> which is great. I just, like, that's, that, I, I just think that kind of mood paired with the first one, which was actually nasty, is... Perfect. That's all you need from the Scream franchise. So it starts like that. Jada Pinkett actually plays the the lady uh, going in. I remember now. And then it go it, it expands from that. They both get get stabbed up in the screening of Stab, and then it the murders have changed place. They're now on a college campus, but there's more murders. They're more gnarly, completely. Um, there's more famous people in it. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's in it. She gets a nice, nasty death. Uh, Laurie Metcalf is actually the other killer. And that's the thing. Okay. Spoilers. So you've got Laurie Metcalf and Timothy Oliphant as your killers. And they're both going 150% over the top. Like, they're just ridiculous. When he bites it at the end... like No, sorry. When they kill her at the end, they're staring down at her going, they always come back. They always come back. And then the previously taught dead Timothy Oliphant right behind them just goes, ah, like the emergency, (laughs) like the emergency signal from fucking team America. Like it's ridiculous, (laughs) but it's good fun. There are some good nasty killings in there too, but ultimately it's like the full rounded parody of what the first film did. So it's really, it really is effectively a, a good sequel while also very effectively parodying the idea of sequels, and I feel like it just, you know, I mean, people say the third is the weakest in the bunch. It's not great, but I mean, it's not terrible if you're into the screaming. The three was supposed to like round out the trilogy, like it all made sense together. Because doesn't it the baddie in three kind of engineered the events in first? Like it was me, it was me, Nev Campbell. The, it was me, Sydney, the architect, the architect of all the architect of all your suffering. Um, yeah. Well, like I said, I didn't actually rewatch this this week so i couldn't i couldn't because that's all set in hollywood and it's like a film producer yes that's and right he was jealous or something oh i remember now it's a film pro- he was he's or he's like a he's the half brother yes. product of that's right. rape or something. Yeah, yeah that's right exactly he's the half brother anyway so they tried to round it out what like by you know adding like really trying to ins- hard install gravity into where they had really established levity with the second one. As far as I know, the fourth one was just a bit of fun, kind of a cash-in. I haven't watched it since it came out. Then we get to the fifth one, which is essentially the same thing, right? It's the same thing, except Courtney Cox is 57. Yeah, that's right. 
And she needs more. Like, I mean, do, you didn't watch the Friends reunion. Oh, she needs did monies. You? I did not. I mean, it's scary how much uh, cosmetic surgery her and Chandler have gotten. Yeah, I do. I felt a bit bad watching this. There was times where you could like where you see her neck, or there was one point where she, I think she like puts her hand on someone's shoulder, and I was like, "Holy hell, it's the crypt keeper! What's going on?" Yeah, yeah, good. right. Um, and then David Arquette is like, we've got the like bloated corpse of David Arquette. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think they shot uh, his home scenes in David Arquette's actual current home <laughs> in his trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've watched so many shit horror sequels like i've watched a lot of poor horror sequels and you know this isn't the this is scream 2022 i'm talking about this isn't is nowhere near on the level as some of those others but it's the uh i don't know it's the fact that well, i would say hey how about this for the fifth film of a series it's way better than it has any right to be yes yes that is true but they're not even trying to scare you it's so heavily connected to what came before. I mean, spoilers for this film, but what I, I, I quite liked what it was all about, the like metacometry on fandom and, you know, mm. internet rage, nerds. I, 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 I liked that. I, I'm all on board with all those meta type elements. I like the young characters. I like the young cast. Wasn't a fan of the legacy characters because yes. I don't care about the series. I don't care about them. Totally, totally but agreed. I wish they had a, for a smaller me, partner. The, like young, yeah, for me, those like new young characters carried the film. Yes. Because, yeah, I, I thought the script was solid enough. I, I liked I liked them and I enjoyed spending time with them. And so I, I, I had no expectations. Like, I, if anything, I was, really wasn't looking forward to watching the film. And there were times where I was like pleasantly, like, I was laughing. Mm. But I was, you know, when, when they're talking about horror films, there, there are sequences in this or of people talking about horror films that anyone who likes listening to this podcast would like those scenes. Yes, that's true. Because it's just, it's just like nerdy, almost on the spectrum. <laughs> chat about horror <laughs> about films <laughs> yeah i'll tell you know what well, like I, I should include this one thing i went to see this in the cinema as well and i thought i was going to be alone for the screening and then three people came in um, and were drinking beers and cheering throughout which bummed me oh, out God. a little bit i have to yeah. say but you missed out i <laughs> this is quite funny and this is why you should never uh, cinema and drink folks i when the film finished and i was walking out uh, all three of them were asleep beside each other. Respect. True story. They would have been woken up by the cleaning lady. Uh, so that You went late at night. Yeah, yeah. I was there quite late. It was a miracle. I didn't fall asleep, quite frankly. A fucking miracle. Yeah, I, there's no way I could even go to the cinema that time. I, I went to see this in like in the late afternoon. I know no, no. I like this was the only way I could have managed it, so I did. Um but uh yeah. I did enjoy some of the kills. I didn't enjoy the kill of Dewey, I didn't enjoy the legacy kill. I it I I don't know. I just think for sure Wes Craven is a better director. That's one thing that became very apparent to me when I was watching it because I was aware that, oh, the tools of filmmaking have come on so much since the first one. But then having just watched the opening scene to the original screen and then this kind of knockoff of it, you just see, yeah, Wes Craven was just a really, really good horror director. Mm. Like, the, that's, go on. This is how I've got, that's a little bit how I felt watching the Candyman sequel is just like it, I, I kept going back to thinking like about you know someone like mike flanagan of just mm. like 
there's there's a whole there's just a skill set. Horror is its own thing, and it's it's not about it's not filmmaking per se. It's like it's a whole because it's you know it's such a, a strong genre. Yes. It's like you need to have a specific set of skills. Like you know, Flanagan's obviously for me right now is probably my favorite horror filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, like I, anything that he makes scares me. I, like I'm just whatever he does scares me. I would 100% agree with that. I also don't think you've just named one of the, I think, one of the all-around Renaissance men mavericks working today. You know, every Mike Flanagan joint is a Mike Flanagan joint. He controls almost every Mm. aspect of it, you know? There are other guys, like, I mean, that uh, fella, Ari Aster, I think that, yeah, yeah, the hereditary Mm. guy. Hereditary, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't as much. Midsommar. I I need to rewatch Midsommar because, I mean. I still haven't seen it. A lot of people really, really love that, and it didn't really connect with me so much. I would like to give it another go, but I love Hereditary, um, and I think it's really, really scary as well to boot, which is, of course, important in it. But, yeah, that's what I'll say. One big note that I took in the opening scene of this is that, wow, just, you know, Wes Craven is noticeable by his absence on this one, I would say. Um, Because just what a filmmaker. Uh, Like it. This this film was directed by Matt Bettinelli, Alpin, and Taylor Gillette, Gillette, who who made Ready or Not. Have you seen that? Yes. From a couple of years ago. Yeah. I love Ready or Not. Tell me something about that. But Ready or Not is. Ready or Not is almost like an Edgar Wright film. It's Mm. like affectionately parodying the genre. It's not even trying to be scary. No way. Not even mm-hmm. slightly. It's got a horror premise, and that's it. It's an action comedy. Maybe that's why they got this job, though. I mean, that's what they were looking, that's what they were looking yeah, for. Yeah, no, 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 that's fair, that's fair. But I think... Like you said. I feel like we've had this conversation before in this podcast, but it's like, if, you, if I was to define the horror genre by one thing, I would go more more mood than content and i yeah, and I, you said mood and tone mm. and i said probably jump scares and i stick by that but i think jump scares plays into mood a little bit wouldn't you i would say for me I, I, thinking about this again the most important aspect for me is sound more than anything else again i mood. think horror is sound yeah okay fine that I'll, I'll accept that but i just think proper use of sound is what makes something scary probably one of the the scarier horror films i've seen recently is uh host yeah from the and that was you know that's a zoom call <laughs> you don't like i don't know it, it it can be done with so little yeah yeah but i mean that's a there you go that's a as a zeitgeist movie like that is you know released in the pandemic on a zoom call i mean you're you you are you, you can't i don't think you can effectively compare that to so many other things in the genre just because it was almost like that film somebody had to make it and they could only really make it once before everybody would be kind of copying the idea which thankfully nobody has tried to do but it was like i mean what an idea you know that, that is just but i don't think it's it's not the idea that sells it though it's like but the idea puts everything else in place the filmmaking I guess, mm. but just what they're capable of. Yeah, no, no, no. What what I mean to say is to take nothing from how well they they pulled it off. But like, believe me, but it's like, yeah, fair enough. It's that idea in the hands of skillful filmmakers who know the horror genre and who know what people want, you know. And I suppose, you know, I mean, I've got this kind of reluctant tone in my voice, similar to when I uh, was talking about Spider Man No Way Home, which is that. Some people would say that, for example, Shaun of the Dead is a is a horror movie, and it might be a horror comedy. Do people find that scary? 
No, they don't. But they are. Is it like the gore aspect? They're quali- a lot of people will qualify uh, fans of the genre now, and God bless them. And they could, they're probably more right than me. But a lot of people would qualify horror on content alone. Almost for me, I need the mood. I need it. Yeah. Like for me, there's uh, there are uh, two. There are two moments in Steven Spielberg's film E.T. that are horror moments that are proper scary, and the mood is there, and they're like, "Oh my god, what the hell!" Close Encounters too are so. But what I'm saying is, when you make a film where that mood is the focus of it, at least in the grand blockbuster in my soul, I can put those in the horror section. You you made me think of a film uh, when I was a kid. I remember going to the cinema, it was a friend's birthday, I must have been like about 10, 11 or something years old, had a sleepover at his house after the cinema, and we were all crapping ourselves. Like, we were really, really scared. Any ideas what the film was? Zero. Jurassic Park. Wow! There you go. It was scary. It was, it was yeah, genuinely, yeah, yeah. genuinely a scary film for the, for that age. Yeah, I mean, I saw it when I was younger than that. I, that was the first film I ever saw in the cinema, and um, yeah, I think and Jaws. I mean, think about that. Like Jaws was super scary. Yeah, yeah. Jaws. There's still two moments in Jaws that'll scare you. I'm convinced. It, like if you're not well versed in it, they'll get you. When the body pops out of the sunk the sunken boat, mm. scary. And uh, when Roy Scheider is uh, putting the like awful and shit into the water. And he goes, yeah, and it just, just goes, yeah, 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 we're going to need a bigger boat. That And those ones are like music and moods. I mean, music is part of the mood there, definitely, like the John Williams score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. I also remember, like I mentioned Psycho earlier, first time I watched Psycho, when um, you see Mrs. Bates's skull when the lady's head hits the lamp mm-hmm. in the basement. That's fucking scary. And right, okay, getting back to Scream, this has yeah. unmistakably got horror content. It's got some of the most iconic horror stuff there is going, but not once does it. I'll I'll give it a pass on something. It doesn't really achieve the mood, but it's not even fucking going for it. You know what I mean? Doesn't want to scare you. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it wants to entertain you more than anything. In in some ways, I like they in some of the meta commentary in the film, they're talking about other kind of requels. They they reference Star Wars and various mm. others and talk about like the kind of blending of legacy characters. And they go ahead and do the exact same thing here. So it, it is like an element of fan service, if that's what you want to call it. Mm. But it's more sort of checking in with these these older characters, but there's not really it's not much of a sense of danger. I mean, even though people are being stabbed, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I was never concerned that like yeah. Courtney Cox was going to die except from Natural causes, maybe. There's a moment in it where um, I, they phone um, the uh, they phone Sydney, and she's jogging by beside a river with uh, two babies. <laughs> yes. And I'm there going, "Just stay there. You've got a good life. <laughs> what do you? Why? Why would you do this? We're like, and also, I have to say, if I'm Sydney Prescott in that situation, and like somebody like Dewey phones me up, I look at my phone and go, oh, fucking gee, oh, Jesus. This <laughs> weirdo from my old life who's still obsessed with the attacks. Anyway. Uh, those, the, the, the uh, I guess we're just going with the parlance of the film, but legacy characters, mm. like a lot of those scenes brought to mind the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which you've seen. It's that kind of energy. Yeah, it's that energy of seeing these people and going like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. 
lay off lay off the pies you, and then also just a bit it makes you feel bad yourself of going like oh god i'm i'm no spring chicken <laughs> but you didn't Again, you didn't enjoy, enjoy uh, jay and silent reboot at all did you no because it is a, a big steaming pile of shite do you still enjoy jay and ba- silent bob strike back i haven't seen it for a long time but i enjoy I the memory of that it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I st- I think I could still get on board with that because they're not like sixty years old. Ah, uh, is that the issue? But well, like old men oh, doing yeah. the same character, Actually, like acting the same way uh, as they did from like nineteen ninety three. Is it can't be done. I yet. think you sent me you sent me a picture of like a cast photo from <laughs> I did, from to Clerks Three, from Clerks Three, <laughs> and it's the sort of picture that would like you know. It raises your it's chance terrifying. of jumping off a balcony from zero to ten. I'd say just from looking at the picture alone. <laughs> Good God! It looks it's like it's from some Ari Aster film or something. Yeah, oh, it's, these look like fucking goblin. It people. looks like the man who painted American Gothic was hired to parody Kevin Smith. <laughs> to be fair, time is the true the true enemy. It's the true horror. There we are. There There's we are. nothing more disturbing. That's the, it's the real baddie and all and everything. This film was written by James Vanderbilt, who wrote uh, Zodiac. How about that? How about this that? Is a sequel to Zodiac. It had two writers though, didn't it? Yeah, the other guy was Guy Busick, mm. who co-wrote Ready or Not. Uh, do, you, uh, do you think it's that's ju- actually just Gary Busey trying to get a second career <laughs> yeah, with a poor, with a poorly, conce- poorly conceived fake yeah. name? <laughs> that's correct. And James Vanderbilt is actually James Vanderbeek. Nice! Making a comeback <laughs> for Dawson. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm in, I'm in. It's, all, it's just as part of the Dawson universe. I don't want to wait verse. for our lives to be over. James Vanderbilt. I mean, what else has he written besides Zodiac? Because Zodiac is just a a bunch of other stuff. He a wrote tremendous basic, film. Remember that Basic with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and um, yeah, 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 yeah. Bruce. I think Bruce Willis. Not, I, uh, yeah, not a bad movie as I remember, or was it? Sorry, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. That might be the final John McTiernan film. I think maybe was that made before Around or there. after he when he was that made after he got out of prison? Maybe during. No, I think he. I think he went to prison after that. That was before he went to. The joint. Yeah, he's been trying to get some project that sounded interesting off the ground in recent years. I read an interview with him in Empire last year. Yeah, he's trying to put together payments on a car. It was tax that (laughs) that saw him sent to prison, wasn't it? Yeah, he's trying to put some money together to set up his own stamp business. Are you making jokes about something and I'm not getting it? What are the? No, I'm just saying like he doesn't have. He's not working on films, is he? No, what? (laughs) He's like he's paid to get their job of like not going back to prison. (laughs) Anyway, why are we talking about John McTiernan? Because because he's a fuck. Because he's a legend. The man made Predator and Die Hard and The Hunt for Red October. He is a legend, but then he tried to. He got someone to like illegally tape. He got like a private detective and whatever. Read it by John McTiernan somewhere else. Yes. Shall we talk about the, any of the cast members of this? Why not? I like them. I don't know if we... Shall we go into any... I, I don't, I've got some bits and pieces. I, I tell you who I like is Mason Gooding. Why do you like Mason Gooding? Well, apart from being the son of Cuba Gooding Jr. Is he? He is. He plays Chad. He plays a character called Chad. Come on. Chad Meeks Martin. <laughs> I like that. As a, yeah, that's good. He's... Um, I think he's great. I, I really he's like off him. He's off of Booksmart, he's, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really he's good. He's he's good in that as well. I mean, he's just he's he's really, really really likable, charismatic. Mm. I think he's going to go on and do great things. I like him a lot. I reckon we'll see him in the MCU before long. The other person I'd like to call out for hilarious uh, 
well, for something absolutely ridiculous, Jenna Ortega, who plays Tara, the younger sister who gets knifed up at the start. Yes. She's got one of those curated Wikipedia pages, which kind of paints her as the future of like the USA. Oh, really? Yeah. So on her Wikipedia page, she's got like sections. One section is called public image and another one is called artistry. Oh, it's, it's one of those hilarious. I highly recommend reading one of those Wikipedias that's like a CV. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it has her. It, it's got her signature at the top. You know, like here's her autograph. It's got like, like it just these <laughs> odd, innocuous pieces of information. Like once while yes, once are. while traveling in Peru, she like yeah, yeah, just <laughs> things like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, listen, I love trivia as much as the next person, maybe more. Some would argue. But some of the stuff on her Wikipedia page, I'm like, all right. Well, I hope she treats her parents well, and let's hope so. Uh, she, do Do you think her uh, character second name was named for John? Surely. Yeah, and uh, Dylan Minnette's character is called Wes Hicks. Yeah, 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 and they have that big part for Wes, which is you know. Yeah, yeah. Also, at the start of the film, like, j- like I think just after trailers, it got a message that came up that said, we take spoilers very seriously. Don't tell anyone the ending. Really? <laughs> you never got that? No, we didn't get that. Yeah, I, I, it, it put me off. I was like, ugh. I mean, who... Don't, don't tell me what to do. Who could give a Tuppany Fox spoilers for Scream? Although, yeah, I, tell you, I, I gotta say, you, you guessed the killers in this, surely, didn't you? The only way that Jack Quaid signs on to this there has to be a bit more than he's just like i'm the boyfriend because i feel like his star is rising right now Mm. so i assumed there had to be a bit more to it than that so i did kind of assume that he would be a knifey knifey baddie mikey madison the lady who plays amber freeman she's a bit creepy and yeah they don't really make any effort to hide her being dodgy oh no i think if you if you're like just if all you have is your Scream grammar from Scream 1 and Scream 2. You're able to find them pretty easily. Like Mikey, Mikey Madison, her character is more or less... She's got Matthew Lillard energy, I would say. Yeah. And Jack Quaid has got Timothy Oliphant en- energy in a big yeah. way. So I was like, yeah, I was able to pick them out fairly handily. And yeah, I was a bit... I like uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown, who played Mindy Meeks Martin. I mean, she's... I, I know her as as maybe many people do, as Evie from The Leftovers. Yeah, of course. She's also in, in Yellow Jackets. And uh, yeah, I mean, she was the one who was giving out all the kind of meta... The meta chat that I was on board with. That is probably the most likable I've seen her mm. in, in anything, actually. God, I... Because she often plays a sort of stuck-up-looking teen. W- like, wouldn't you just love, you know, I mean, if some of the characters survive and they got together and made a, you know, a half-an-hour weekly show where they just discuss movies? I would watch <laughs> that. Fuck yeah. There was, a, there was a Scream TV series on MTV and VH1 that ran yeah, for three seasons. it's on Netflix. No, I'm, I'm not going near that. <laughs> no, I, I, the uh, second season's reasonably highly rated, but the others are, like, uh, woeful. Uh, they're, they're down at, like, fuck 40% that. or something. Don't think I have anything to say about, you know, the legacy people. What is there to say? Courtney Cox, 57. The end. David Arquette was a wrestler for a while. Yeah, he won the uh, World Heavyweight Championship. That's right. I mean, midlife crisis. <laughs> Apparently, wrestling fans was were furious, which I like. <laughs> That's just funny. <laughs> he's a he's he's a, a member of the Arquette acting dynasty, probably the <laughs> finest of all. 
<laughs> of all the acting dynasties you've mentioned so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean of the famous Arquettes? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like Alexis. The Red Gra- Rosanna, the, the Red Gra- Patricia. The Red Graves get to a restaurant. They're like, can we get the table seat? I'm sorry, the Arquettes are in this afternoon. He was married to Courtney Cox for a bit, wasn't he? Yeah, from 99 to uh, 2012, they got a daughter together, Coco. And they're still on 17. terms enough to uh, stare in films together. That's cool. Uh, maybe if you're way into their family drama, it might be nice seeing them interact with each other and not trying to like gouge each other's eyes out or anything. It's um, not that he's anywhere near as talented, but I imagine in a marriage situation, David Arquette has kind of um, Kanye West energy. You know, he might just be a little bit too much. I think he's got like a Millhouse's dad energy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, he's getting, getting cheated on and stuff. Okay, uh, and I can imagine him sort of like living. He's living in the like a got, bachelor pad. Got, <laughs> he's an underrated. That's what he looks like he's an underrated uh, Simpsons creation. Millhouse's dad. Mm. There's a one the yeah uh, the the writers just like to punish with his shit life. <laughs> uh. Oi. Nev Campbell, she's looking all right. She's all right. She is looking all right. She's all right. Do you know her uh, mother's uh, a yoga instructor from Amsterdam? I did not know that. And her dad, her dad's uh, is a guy called Jerry from Glasgow. I mean... She's half Scottish, half Dutch. She's the only one. Can we just, like, let's just, I mean, to her dad from Glasgow, who shacked up with the yoga instructor from Amsterdam, can I just say, even if you're not together anymore... Nice. Well, I think that's how Scottish men, we like to think of ourselves as we're like, look, look, look at what can happen. We've got James Bond. Your sport. Punching above your way. Your sports fisherman, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And Amsterdam. Yeah, I can imagine a, a Ouija going to Amsterdam. It's not too hard to imagine. Oh, and then emigrating to, to uh, Canada. All right. Love. No, no, that's not good. <laughs> that's correct. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was actually the mother you were doing. With. That was my Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Glasgow. No, I can't do Christopher Walken. All right. I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah, I nailed it. Ah, oh, fuck! I thought everyone could do Christopher Walken. It turns out I can't. I can do Christopher. Walking, I don't know where the place the stress. Nah, I can't do it. It's too much. Sorry, I tried. All uh, right, I've tried to fuck it, fuck it all to death. <laughs> Indeed, that's a scream motto. <laughs> I've got, I got five paragraphs here that are a plot synopsis because you know the plot synopsis of a new film is uh is pretty limited. Touch and go, like yeah. I think we, yeah, we we fire through these five paragraphs and see if there's anything else to say. Do it. 25 years after Billy Loomis, Loomis, and Stu Marker terrorized the town of Woodsboro, a high school student named Tara Carpenter is home alone when she is curating her Wikipedia page and is attacked (laughs) by Ghostface from off of the Wu-Tang Clan and is left hospitalized. Yes, it's it's a decent scene. It's a decent opener. Do you like scary movies and stuff? What What are some of the... Co- oh, yeah, he asks all about the Stab franchise. Yeah, and then she says she likes elevated meta. horror. Yeah, yeah, she's like... I, I don't, That's I don't what, know. like... I, what does she say she likes? Like, Which film uh, specifically? She mentions uh, Hereditary the and The Babadook. Yeah, yeah. The Babadook. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen that David Lowry film, Ghost? 
Uh, a ghost story? Yeah, that's it. Have you seen that Patrick Swayze film, Ghost? Yes, I have. <laughs> no, I haven't seen a ghost story. Yeah, I, f- I know it's. Uh, I fucking hated it. Very strange. Yeah, yeah, not a fan. Anyway, I like to watch it. I hear it's like it's very much like the OA. It's in the same the same universe. Is it? I did not know that. I'm gonna watch it again and take <laughs> notes. And the OC, and a, and a ghost story and ghost. They're on the same universe. Anyway, some guy in a mask stabs her up, which seems a bit harsh because she's a young child. Yeah. While out of time. <laughs> Tara's older sister, Sam Carpenter, <laughs> is informed by Wes Hicks about her sister's attack. Nice, Wes Hicks. Sam returns to... Yeah, Wes Hicks. He's yeah, he's a baddie. Sam returns to Woodsboro with her boyfriend, Richie. Oh, no, wait. Wes Hicks is the, is the other guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got confused mm. there. Sam returns to Woodsboro with her boyfriend, Richie. Well, Richie, that's our alarm bells ringing with that name yep. when it's attached to anyone in any format. To visit Tara at the hospital, where she reunites with Tara's friendship group, Amber Freeman, twins Chad and Mindy Meeks Martin, and Liv McKenzie. Liv Summer fling Vince Schneider is next to be murdered by Ghostface. Not cool, Ghostface. <laughs> that's, the entire, that's the entirety of that. Yeah. So wait, they're drinking in a bar, and then this ridiculously unlikable... Kyle Golner character, Vince Schneider, is like, hey, will you leave those kids alone and come and uh, hang out with me? Remember we had that fling mm. before. And then he gets murdered outside the bar, and I guess we're kind of on the killer's side. Yeah, we're like, you deserve that. Because we're like, yeah, kill this guy. But that feels the least connected. What's his connection to the, the whole overarching thing? Because everyone, all the victims are connected to the, the previous victims. Are they? He's like the... Yeah. I didn't... All the victims in this one are connected to the original Billy Loomis Stumacher killings. Vince Schneider. Oh, Schneider. I don't remember his connection, but he's like the nephew of someone or something. He's related to one of the victims in the first film. In the first film? Yes. They're all... It's all... It's only connected to the first film. Oh, okay. In terms of like victims and stuff. So that might be Principal Schneider. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Maybe that's it then. That'll be the one. So he's like, hey, he's related to the Fonz. What happened? That's not right. After arriving at the hospital, Ghostface attacks Sam. After her attack, Sam tells her sister Tara about her struggles with hallucinations of Billy Loomis, where she reveals that Billy is her biological phagia and is the reason for why <laughs> is the reason for why she left town. I like that. Not the reason why. The reason for why she left town why their parents separated and why she became estranged from her. So she's seeing it, it, the hallucinations. Is that Ski Ulrich de-aged? Um, I'm not sure, I th- but I know he did do some shooting for the film, so... It's not a lot of de-aging. It looks like they put a bit of butter on his face. Yeah. He does not look like a young... Who is that supposed to be? Like uh, They just left him the same age as he would be in real life. Is that what Ski Ulrich looks like? I suppose. It looks like a bad de job, maybe. But you'd have to make him look younger, would you not? Because why would she be imagining what he looks like now? He, Although, because he's been dead. Because he needs the work? Because she's mental. <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, he probably asked her, like, could you imagine me with the least amount of makeup on, please? Do you just imagine me the way that I actually look? Because that'll be way easier. Skeet Ulrich. Is that his real name? Mm-hmm. Skeet Ulrich. That, now, that's a name. That's a name that rings out. Skeet Ulrich. 
Anthony LaPaglia. Sounds famous. The next day, Sam and Richie pay Dewey Riley a visit, who has been in a bad place since his divorce from Gail Weathers. He's the next-door neighbor of uh, Bud from Kill Bill. They ask for his help in stopping the killer, and he later contacts Sidney Prescott and Gail, warning them about the return of Ghostface before joining the teens at Mindy and Chad's home. What? That is not a proper relative clause. There, he <laughs> reunites with the twins' mother, Martha, the sister of the late Randy Meeks. Yeah, that's Heather Matarazzo. Mm. She was in uh, Hostel 2. Remember that? She's hung upside down, and then she gets scythed. Spoilers. Is, I haven't seen that since the cinema now, I must say. There's like a crazy lady, and she has a scythe, and she cuts up that lady. She cuts up Heather. Is that the film where they, they rip the guy's dick and balls off? Is that in that one? I think so. I don't know. I've seen Hostel 1 and 2. But anyway. They're fun. When she was hanging upside down, getting sliced. It was all right. That's all I'm saying. It's a different time. You could do that in Eastern Europe back then. Vince is later to be revealed as... Vince is later to be revealed as Stu's nephew. Ah, okay. Vince Snyder is Stu Macher's nephew. There we go. Nice. So he's a Matthew Lillard. That makes more sense. He's related to Matthew Lillard and not the Fonz. Yeah, it did seem like a, I can buy that. Quite a like sort of a a Matthew Lillard sort of move what he was doing in the bar there. Yeah, shout out Matthew Lillard. With the three attacks being on people related in some capacity to the original killers, Sam is accused of being the killer. The killers must oh, be nice. delighted with themselves at this point. Then, yeah, they're gleeful. Ghostface then murders Wes and his mother, Sheriff Judy Hicks, at their house. This is the, those are the best. How did you feel about that kill? You on board with that? Best ones in the film. I think mainly because I'm actually happy to see the mother go once the son is gone because I feel really bad for the mother. <laughs> that's that's so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather see the mother. Yeah, I felt kind of the same way. Like, didn't really care for the boy. Hmm. Let the boy bleed. But the mother, she's yeah, I was kind of felt bad. Well, it's yeah but because she got stabbed up in none of the, on her way in, the house. in none of the other like uh, screen movies do they simultaneously give you the character of the victim and their parents, even though they're all you usually teenagers. Whereas in this, you I think you're aware of the sheriff before you're properly aware of Wes, or may, like you know at least on a parallel. So you know, as good we didn't have to watch her grieve the brutal murder of her child. <laughs> And what, she's from other films as well of the series, right? The Sheriff? She's in like three or two or four or something. Not sure. At the Hicks house, Dewey reunites with Gail, who has arrived in time to cover the story. At the hospital, Tara and Richie are both attacked by Ghostface, but are saved by Dewey and Sam. Dewey, in the part of the film that kind of annoyed me, yes. is eventually killed when he attempts to finish off Ghostface. Yeah. Stupid. That it's a bit sort of killing Harrison Ford in Star Wars Force Awakens. Spoilers for Star Wars Force Awakens. Oh, it also though does remind me um, of like one of the be- like one of my favorite kills uh, in probably my favorite one- kill in Scream Two actually is where uh, the killer takes a car with Sydney and her mate where she's supposed to be going into witness protection and but they eventually force him to crash it and then they they escape from the car. And then Sydney just says, no, I got to find out who this fucker is. So she goes back and she's going to take off the mask. But then he's he's gone. And she looks back to where her friend, she left her friend and Ghostface just pops out at her from around the corner and stabs her to death. It's pretty awesome. Respect. Yes. Good job. Ghosty. Sydney arrives in town after finding out about Dewey's death and obviously not valuing the lives of her young children. 
or their futures, as she could potentially die herself, and meets up with both Gail and Sam. Sydney asks Sam to help take down the killer, but Sam declines, choosing to leave time with both Richie and Tara instead. Sam, Richie, and Tara are about to leave Woodsboro, but are forced to stop at Amber's house to retrieve an inhaler for Tara. Sydney and Gail follow the trio to Amber's house, which is revealed to be Stu's old house, where the original events took place. There, Chad and Mindy are both attacked and stabbed by Ghostface, but they survive their attacks. Spoilers. A lot of survivors in this movie. Well, I'm happy that they didn't kill Chad and Mindy, especially young Chad. I liked him a lot. But Mindy, too, she was fine. I'm glad they didn't kill the, 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 the brother, sister, double, double team. Keep them alive. Agreed. We'll see them in Scream 6, the search for more money. As Sam tends to an injured Mindy, Amber pulls out a gun and shoots Liv in the head. It's a scream, baby, revealing herself as one of the killers. Oh, what? When Gail and Sydney arrive, she fakes being attacked, a stunt that neither Sydney nor Gail believes. That is quite funny. I yeah. mean, that, but that, again, this is that energy that I'm saying that feels a bit like Jane Silent Bob later on of them going like, yeah, we've been here before. Yeah. Nong. I agree. Leading to Amber shooting Gail and injuring her in the process. Richie then stabs Sam and reveals himself as Amber's accomplice. Richie and Amber take Sam, Sydney, and Gail into a kitchen where Sydney had first faced off against Billy and Stu, leading to Richie and Amber revealing that they are obsessed with the Stab series. They are disappointed in its trajectory and want to provide a new story to be adapted based on true events, planning to face, frame Sam because she is Billy's daughter. Nice. I, see, I like, I like the, that fan element. I like them talking about like kind of vicious fandom online forums mm. you know they're taking pot shots at like reddit yeah i'm on board i think it is quite funny i think um jack quaid is really he just comes into his own he's like he's a very good actor and he's very good in this scene i yeah. think he's well cast he's solid i think he's gonna go on and do out of everyone in it i think he's gonna go on and do really good things him and mason gooding i think are gonna go on and have really good careers yeah Maybe some of the ladies too. portraying like the opposite kind of characters. They'd be a good buddy cop duo, actually. Now that I think about it, let's start writing. Indeed, yeah. Like he, like basically, um, Gooding is Mike Lowry from Bad Boys, and uh, Mike Lowry, Jack Quaid, Jack Quaid is star of uh, Bl- can play Will Smith. Star- <laughs> exactly, <laughs> star of uh, Black Knight, of course, famously uh, Martin Lawrence. We'll be coming. Yeah, we'll be, we're talking about that soon. Gail then shoots Amber who lands on the stove and is lit a flame. That was quite fun. I liked that. Yes, I was a fan. Seen her all burnt out. <laughs> but I just, I like an inventive Sorry, slasher kill. I do. Yeah. I mean, you saw that one coming a mile off. For sure. Still, yeah, yeah. But I feel like they actually like say like she's going to go on fire or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But I mean, yeah, those, those are the ones I'm exactly in for, quite frankly. Sam is injured, but a hallucination of Billy points her to Amber's knife on the floor, thus saving her life. She uses it to stab Richie multiple times before shooting him. I quite enjoyed that as well. Like, Sam, she's, you know, I think she does have a line of saying, like, don't fuck with someone whose dad's a serial killer. Mm. And she does. She goes crazy with the stabs. Yeah, yeah, she does, yeah. She does a lot of stabby stabs. It's nice. A badly burned Amber attempts to attack the group again, but is shot dead by Tara. Tara and the Meeks twins are taken to the hospital, and Sam thanks Sydney and Gail for their help. Gail refuses to write about the new murders because she doesn't want to give the killers notoriety and let them die in anonymity. There, she plans to write a touching tribute to Dewey instead. And her publisher says, I what the like... fuck is this shit? What? Yeah, give me the good stuff. Get back, get the fuck back there. 
I thought she was a weather lady. Is that just because her name is Gail, Gail That's Weathers? why you thought that, yes. Yeah, I assumed. <laughs> she should be, obviously, she should be doing the weather because, like, both parts of her name are weather-related. I think Sydney has, like, punched her in the face three on three separate occasions over the series because she keeps writing uh, books about intimate stuff that happened to Sydney. I felt like the ending lacked something. I feel like they they show, like people milling around outside the house and then they just pull back and that's the end. I, I don't know if it, maybe it means something more if you're like a, a watcher of the whole Scream series, but to me, I just kind of felt like they were like, eh, they could have added something else at the end there. Maybe, I yeah. Don't know what it would be. My, um... A little, a little kind of bookend to something. The ending, for me, the ending of this film in the cinema will always be memorable because I noticed the three guys sleeping when I was on my way out. Do you think they were placed there by the filmmakers? Possibly. They're hired? Is that part of the show? I did stab all three of them. Wait, this this is a fun conversation for everyone to listen to, but which cinema did you go to? Yelmo. Mo. Ah, Yeah, yeah, you're yelling Mo. Very good. (laughs) Very good. That's it. That's the end of the film. That's the end of Scream 2022. I can't wait till Scream, Scream 2026. Four more years. Indeed, yeah. Looking forward to it already. Every four years. I mean, watching the screams in the run-up to this did put me um, back in the mood to watch some classic slashers, so I saw some of my favorites. Uh, If anybody would, uh, you know, like some slasher movie recommendations, I got them for you, folks. I've seen some movies of people slashing on each other. Have you ever seen Black Christmas? No, but I, I really hope that it's got, like, Billy Bob Thornton in it or something. It does not. That's what it should do. I feel like it should be like a bad Santa. That's why I'm linking it to in my head. Check it out. Check out Black Christmas and Alice Sweet Alice. Those are two good uh, like uh, origin stories for the genre that I quite enjoy. <clears throat> All right. I'll put those. I'll add those to the, the ever-increasing backlog. Yes. Things you've got to watch. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Bob Saget's dirty work and Martin Lawrence's <laughs> and maybe that film had a director too we'll never know <laughs> black knight hell yeah can't get any better have you watched either of those films yet i've watched i mean dirty work yes but ages ago you haven't rewatched it have you no 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 no. i haven't rewatched it okay okay yeah i'm i'm i'm, gonna, I'm saving those treats for this week it's actually f- i don't want to don't want to get ahead of it. podcast listeners in spain it's actually dirty work is on bizarrely amazon prime there you go <laughs> check out dirty work on amazon prime Perfect. yeah yeah Right. All right. Or if you have access to the internet, check out any film ever, anywhere, <laughs> anytime. Let's go and get them. Yurt, uh, you off for a big old man walk now? Probably. Hell yeah. I'm off for some old man Chinese food and then some old man ironing. And then I'm going to go see Licorice Pizza later, which I'm quite chuffed to buggery mm. about. Yeah. I don't like licorice uh, and certainly not on my pizza. Well, that's why I'm just l- I assume looking that's at what it. I bet. That's what I'm just... It's actually a, a sequel to Boiling Point. It is, yeah. Where, I mean... It's an unorthodox cooking. But I, like, I mean, you're... Um, what, what have you been to Second City in the last week? Your improv is off the, <laughs> off the charts, Andy. You're supposed to say yes and. <laughs> yes, Andy. Yes, Andy. <laughs> yes, Andy Richie. Thanks. All right, cool. Uh, is that goodbye? That's goodbye. That's goodbye. 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 And good night and good luck. I love you. See you in Scream 6. Hell yeah. I love you too. Bye.